0: Isaiah 41.10, let's just read that since before we get into the message. Is this for me? Oh. It's not a diet Coke, though. Is it? Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely I will help you, surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41 10. Do not fear, don't anxiously and that sounds like a Paul uh, in a in Paul one of Paul's epistles. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, give thanks. Once again, there's nothing in the New that wasn't the first in the Old Testament. Otherwise, when the Word became flesh, is any word of the New Testament even penned at that time? No, so if you can say there's new something new in the New Testament, as we call it, then the Word becoming flesh, you would have been incomplete at the Incarnation. But since there's nothing in the New that wasn't first in the Old Testament, and that's why in Corinthians we're told the only way you can come to an understanding of the Word is by comparing Scripture with Scripture, the New with the Old, the Old with the New, Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. The Word is the best commentary on the Word. Not what John Calvin had to say about it. Not what Joseph Arminius had to say about it. Frankly, not what Jeff Smith has to say about it, or Alan Robinson, or Arlen Chipwood, or A.E. Wilson. But what the Word is the best commentary on the Word. That's why Amen. we have to Amen. compare Scripture with Scripture and lead it by the Holy Spirit. You have to get into this book. And yes, I love to read. Alan knows that. was one of the things that Alan and I had in common. So, like I said, I always used to joke Al was my librarian. <laughs> but uh, he supplied me with I don't know how many books through the years. But none of that supersedes Getting in this book. None of it. But that's why I enjoy. I never had the privilege of sitting under A. E. Wilson, but I've read a lot of some of his writings. I've actually met Arlen Chipwood and listened to him speak numerous times, but I enjoy his style of writing because they point you back to this book not what Arlen thinks this says, he just tells you what this says, and and then, then that's it, so that's all I've ever better aspire to do, is to preach the word, like Paul told Timothy, preach the word, not what I think it says, but preach the word, so today, we're going to be in Philippians, for the most part being Philippians and once again if I had the title of the message I'd just say the title of the message is keep on keeping on keep on keeping on and once again I'm preaching to myself Obviously, I've said before, I'd say I was preaching to the choir, but since we don't don't have a choir here, I mean, well, we're all the choir, right? We all like to sing. But I'm preaching to myself. Philippians, we'll start in chapter 3, but then we'll go back to the beginning of the book. Keep on keeping on. We'll just start with the first verse of chapter 3, but we'll get down to and then we'll try to tie it all up. Verse 1 of chapter 3, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Remember once again, my mom said repetition is the key to learning. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Then Paul states, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, he was a Pharisee, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he said, I was blameless. Verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered. There's that word again. The loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And once again, gain is in the subjunctive mood, and that's why the word may is before it. That may or may not happen if you don't keep on keeping on. Verse 9. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law that he just spoke about but that which comes through faith in christ the righteousness that from god that depends on faith that righteousness because without faith it's impossible to please him And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Here we are, right back here. If you don't get in this book and spend time in this book, you can't walk by faith. It's impossible. So if I want to feed myself physically, I, there's a lot of places I can go, right? And I like Bone Smokehouse on East Brainerd Road. I didn't get paid to say that. That's just my, one of my favorite hangouts, okay? Burn-ins, try the burn-ins, go to Bone Smokehouse. But yeah, if you want to feed yourself physically, there's a lot of options out there, right? Some people like chicken. Some people like steak. Some people like seafood. Not Andy Smith, but some people like seafood. Okay? You got a lot of options if you're feeding yourself physically. But if you want to feed yourself spiritually, you only have one option. That's it. It's not no buffet. Okay? It is a buffet in one sense, Mary, you're correct. Because it's inexhaustive. Right? I can read through the Bible as many times as I want to and his mercies are new every morning. It's inexhaustible. So in that sense it's a buffet. But in the sense of having several different options of how to feed yourself spiritually it's right here. It's the meat. It's the meat of the word. Now you can choose whatever kind of meat you think that is. <laughs> right? You can call it steak if you're a steak lover. You can call it chicken if you're a chicken lover. If you like lobster, say it's the lobster of the word. But there's only one option right here. The righteousness from God, verse 9, that depends on faith. Verse 10. And I replace my life verse from when i went through tennessee temple when i got the temple as a ninth grader one of my bible teachers you know everybody should have a life verse at that time i chose which is not not that i don't think it's a good person <laughs> but uh i chose galatians 2:20. but uh then one of my kids years ago kept me about oh dad you need to get on facebook you need to have a facebook page you can reconnect with all these people, that which I have. I've had a Facebook. I can't remember how long I've had a Facebook page now. But I chose a different verse to put up on my wall on face, Facebook. And then I've noticed here lately, and it is verse 10, but it's verse Philippians three ten I sort of stopped short. So now I'm thinking I might have to go back and edit my Facebook page. Philippians 3.10 That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And that's what I posted on Facebook. On my Facebook wall. I guess that's what you call it, a wall. But I stopped short. And if you didn't have the opportunity to make it to Sunday school, Bob was talking about the resurrection and Sunday school. And we're all supposed to be walking in resurrection life. All right. Well, I stopped short. I put Philippians three ten a that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Remember, Paul also said, "I die daily." die to yourself, your selfish desires. I remember when the kids were all the house and we, we didn't eat out as much as Angie and I eat out all the time. But uh, it's just simpler for us than it's just me and her. And she doesn't get home until after I get home because she works up in Cleveland. But, <clears throat> I mean, it was a it was a bit of a chore when we were like, uh, hey, we're going to go out to eat night. We have five kids, as you all know. <laughs> and then it just became this big thing, you know, because one of them wanted to go here, two of them wanted to go over here, and and it was just, it didn't come to a decision on anything. But uh, and I don't know where I was going with that analogy. So <laughs> let's just go on. Becoming like him in his death. Sharing in his sufferings. Verse 11. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that is X X in front of that resurrection. The out resurrection from the dead. And once again, attain is in the subjunctive mood. And that's why they put the word may in front of it, because that may or may not happen. All the dead in Christ are going to be raised, but Paul said he wants to be part of the out resurrection. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect or complete, but what's his words? I press on. Keep on keeping on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. Keep on keeping on. Straining forward. Forget what's back here and straining forward. What did Bob say? but for the joy that was set before him. Set before who? Jesus Christ. Where was his focus? He was looking forward to the joy that moment when he was going to rule. And that's that's why he endured the cross. Because he was looking out at the joy. He was looking out here. He's our su- supreme example, right? If that's where his focus was, and where should our focus be? Straining forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, he says it again. I press on. Keep on keeping on. I press on. Was he just pressing on aimlessly? No, what does it say next? Toward the goal. The goal. The salvation of our souls. The gold for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Just another way of saying the same thing. The goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls, ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. The goal. Let those of us, look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. How do you get mature? You gotta get in this book. So, otherwise, the, the, the converse would be, the opposite would be true also. If you're not mature, you're not gonna think that way, right? you're not a mature believer, you're going to be worried about the things of this earth, earthly things. But let us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold truth. To what we have attained. Keep on keeping on. Brothers, join in imitating me, Paul said, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, verse 18, of whom I have to- often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, talking about unbelievers there? No. Obviously, they don't. They don't have a walk. They don't even have. They don't even have an opportunity to have a spiritual walk, right? Because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. He's talking about the other earlier in the earlier in the chapter. Remember verse 2? Look out for the dogs. I'm sorry, that's not talking about unbelievers either. Look out for the evildoers. That's not talking about unbelievers there either. Talking about the false teachers that are already crept into the church back at uh, just a decade or two after the inception of the church. what did Matthew 13, 33 say? The parables of Matthew 13? is the leaven that the woman put in the meal, the bread. That happened way back in the beginning of the church. And the leaven, which is introduced back in Genesis as a what? A corrupting agent. First mentioned principle. Right? So then all of a sudden some become something good in the Matthew 13 parables. The leaven, the corrupting agent, which has to do in relation to what that all the parables were talking about, which was the word of the kingdom. And it's had 2,000 years to do its corrupting work. My eldest son goes to, a, I won't name the church because I'm not trying to bust them. but a, a large prominent Southern Baptist Church in the, in the East Brainerd area. <laughs> and uh, obviously they have to have multiple services because they have hundreds of thousands that come at different churches. And they have services on Saturday nights and they have this and that going on. A flourishing church, okay? But, you know, obviously, since he's been hearing his dad talk about this for, like, 25 years, and this has been about four or five years ago, he just called me one Sunday, which he doesn't always call me on Sunday afternoon, but he called me on Sunday afternoon and said, Hey, Dad, actually, I think he texted me. I'm sorry. (laughs) He didn't call me, he texted me. But he said, then the service that morning and all the years he'd gone to the pastor, he said, actually brought up and talked about the kingdom. And that was the first time in like the decade or more that he's gone to that church that he'd heard talk about the kingdom. And at the previous church where we attended, the past, the former pastor actually got up one time to talk about, you know, those that used to talk about the kingdom all the time were called, you know, the liberals or whatever, you know. But that's because of... They were the covenant theologians that were taught about the kingdom now philosophy and all that kind of stuff. Like the kingdom was already here and it's the rule of reign of Jesus Christ. in here. But I rejected the covenant theologians and I don't need to read their books. Because the guy that instituted that way back in the first century of the church, right? In the 100s, taught a allegorical interpretation of the scriptures. What does that mean? He didn't take a lot of Old Testament or other stuff literally. It was all, and then they came up with this parabolic allegory. Whatever that means. <coughs> but what it means they don't take this literally. But if you take away the literalness of the scriptures, then you got dudes just making stuff up. And that's what they did. They just make whatever sounds good in their mind. They'll have learned they are, or how many DRs they got in front of their name or MM's or MDF's or whatever after their name, they just start making stuff up. Because you take away the littleness of scripture. This is the breathed out living bird of God. And yes, he uses types and numbers and metaphors But the metaphors he uses are never left to man's own interpretation. Because when he uses metaphors, if you compare Scripture with Scripture under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you what those metaphors mean. He's going to pull the metaphor out and just make stuff up. I have no idea, parabolic allegory is like a redundancy because parable and if you use Webster's Dictionary, they both have about the same definition, so I don't know why they use it twice in a row, but I guess it makes it sound more important, I guess. But you lose the literalness of Scripture, then you're just lost. Not lost spiritually, I'm saying lost and having any kind of correct understanding of this word right here. on. Keep on keeping on. Back to chapter 1. Back to chapter 1. And in studying like this, and in studying Paul's the Pauline epistles as they're referred to, which make up almost a third of the New Testament. But whether it's the Pauline epistles or the general epistles or whatever, just this jumped out at me. just start the first one. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I was reading all the different Pauline epistles and I realized, if you go back to I told you to turn to Philippians 1, I didn't really mean that. I mean, go to Romans. Who wrote Romans? Paul did. And we won't go to every epistle, but I'll just show you what jumped off, jumped off the page of me. where I could pull out my phone and, and sort of shortcut it, but let's not do that. Romans chapter 1, and it was a little bit more of a longer introduction, but Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called his apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by what? The resurrection from the dead. According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, what's the next line? Grace to you and peace. And if you went to 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and 2 Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon uses the same phrase. Peter does it, First and 2 Peter. I'm talking about the general epistles. Grace to you and peace. Grace always precedes peace. You can say, well that's just Paul's style of writing. Right? No. Once again, this is the breathed out word of God. There is no mistake, no happen chance to it. Suffering always precedes glory. The suffering always precedes glory. Grace always precedes peace. You can't have peace if you haven't failed yourself with the grace of God. Grace always precedes peace. Verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in prayer, every, every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Another thing I noticed, in the Pauline epistles, the word gospel, Paul uses the gospel the term gospel is used several times in the New Testament, but about 80% of those times it's used by Paul. But he wasn't just talking about the gospel of the grace of God. What are the Pauline epistles talk about? The gospel of the glory of Christ. Remember, he was the apostle called to go to the saved Gentiles preaching the gospel of the glory of Christ. Doesn't mean he didn't preach the gospel of the grace of God, the death and shed blood of Jesus Christ. What did he do when he got the Corinth? When he got the Corinth, he found a you just read 1 Corinthians 15 in the Sunday school lessons. He said, Of first importance, I talked to you about how Christ died for our sins, because when he got the Corinth, he found a bunch of unbelieving Gentiles there. He couldn't talk to them about present and future aspects of salvation because it didn't make any sense to them. So he had to tell them about that Christ died for their sins. And then once they availed himself of that, once they believed, he spent a year and a half in Corinth, teaching them about present and future aspects of salvation as he does in all of his epistles. As in all of the epistles whether Pauline or General but it's all based on the christ finished work of Calvary but that's not the focal point of the New Testament. And that's what Alan spent years at the brain Bible class coming to me on that. Well, he didn't come and We were sitting there praying after a Wednesday night uh, film study at Grace Baptist Church when I was talking about, man, I wish somebody had come up with a better explanation of the warning passage in Hebrews, especially chapter 6, and he goes, I got a book you need to read. <laughs> right? Or whether it was my brother Mark Summers with the Work Out Your Salvation verse that you couldn't really wrap your head about. You know, hey, Salvation is apart from works, right? Yeah, if you're just talking about the gospel of the grace of God, which is what you hear in most every other church, right? If you're just talking about that past salvation, that's yeah, completely apart from works. Works has nothing to do with it. But that's not what this verse is talking about. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's talking about present and future aspects of salvation. Not your past out. That's already finished and done. Based on Christ's finished work. That's why he ascended to the Father and he sat down at the right hand. His, His work as a prophet is done. Now he's working as our high priest. still based on the shed blood but now it's the shed blood that's on the mercy seat of the tabernacle in heaven. But you still can't have peace unless you value yourself with the grace of God Amen. on a daily basis. Because grace always precedes peace. Suffering always precedes glory. Verse 4 No, 5. I'll just start with four again. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Jesus Christ himself personally took Paul aside for three years. Yes. And taught him about this no wonder paul was excited about gospel just means good news so the gospel of the grace of god is there any better news that an unsaved person can hear that christ died for your sins and then the gospel of the glory of christ is there any better news that a believer can hear that he has opportunity to walk by faith and be an overcomer and then be a joint heir with Christ and rule and reign with him for a thousand years? No wonder Paul was taught by Jesus himself for three years. So why do you think he used the term gospel, good news, 80% of the time in the New Testament? Because it is good news, there is no better news. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. When? At the day of Jesus Christ, the Lord's day. Remember Ruth and the type, the Gentile. She had to glean in the fields from morning till evening, from the barley harvest to the wheat harvest. Complete period of time. Remember in the feasts of the Israelites, the feast of unleavened bread. They did it for how many days? Seven days a complete period of time. They were told to get the sin out, right? Put the leaven out, the corrupting agent out, for a complete period of time. So, unfortunately, I'm never going to arrive. Right? I know Al used to like to joke about, oh, Jeff, he's giving books and he reads them and he's got it all and all that stuff. That's not really the case. All right? I go back and read the same books over and over again. I have to. Uh, this book is inexhaustible. Okay, inexhaustible. The job's never finished. There is no retirement program in being an overcomer. Doesn't happen. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about y'all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of what? Grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. There's that word again. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And what form of the word knowledge, or what Greek word do you think that knowledge is there? Epinosis. Gnosis is the normal word for knowledge if you put the preposition epi in front of it, or the prefix. It intensifies the word it's talking about a mature knowledge and once again back in chapter 3 remember he said let those of us who are mature think this way so if you're not if you're immature you're not going to think that way if you don't keep on keeping on keep on this book you're not going to attain to this mature knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That day when we'll have to give a reckoning as Jimmy. On my next message, I was, I'm a sort of a western movie buff. I don't like all oh, Kind of movies, but I'm a Clint Eastwood fan. But anyway, he he took that one a couple of weeks ago, so I changed my course. But, but uh, let's jump forward. The day of Christ. Let's go forward to the chapter four. We'll wind this down. Hope the roast isn't burning. <laughs> Chapter four. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm. Keep on keeping on. Thus, in the Lord, my beloved, and stand firm is a present active imperative. You got to keep on standing firm. And it's imperative that you do it. And the Greek imperative is, like we stated before, just like the English imperative, if your boss tells you, it's imperative that you have that report on my desk Monday morning. What does he mean? What if you don't have that report on his desk Monday morning? (laughs) Right? There's some consequences. So the Greek imperative is the same way keep on standing firm in the Lord. Verse 2, I entreat Yodia and entreat and Sintyke, and I probably butchered those ladies' names, I'm sorry, to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women. Remember this pilgrim journey we're all on, it's not like around the gulf, right? In one sense it is. Because my Father's righteousness can't transition over into me, right? But in the other sense, we're all supposed to help one another. And we're supposed to bear one, bear one another's burdens. And then later on, in a couple of verses down, it says every man has his own load to carry. But there's that's two different Greek words. Okay. So yes, you have your own load. You have. I've got my own walk, my own covenant journey, but I need help from all these other like-minded people, right? And that's all Alan was saying on that Wednesday night. He didn't say it that way. Hey, I got a book you need to read. But it's like, after I read that book, now I came back and I was like, hey, you got any more <laughs> stuff on this subject? Because like, I I was in the dark. And that first book he gave me, which was like 600-something pages long, that just had me reaching for the light switch. But then I started reading some, you know, Arden Chipwoods and A.E. Wilson's things, and then I was able to flip the light on and say, hey, Hebrews really isn't that hard book to understand if you don't take it out of context, right? You take it literally for what it says, but because you don't like what it says, then you get, well, it really can't be talking about saved people there, right? In chapter 6. It's got to be talking about professors, not possessors. Whatever that Calvinistic thing came from. Right? Because it doesn't like the harshness of the tone. So they just start making stuff up. Hmm. That's imperative. Verse 4, again. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here we were talking about this earlier. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. And in the Greek that means... Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, what follows grace? Peace. Peace. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, again, and finally, the message is coming to a close. Okay, I'm not just joshing (laughs) y'all. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And guess what on the think? Present, middle, imperative. Keep on thinking on those things, and it's imperative that you do it. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And guess what on the practice? Present, active, imperative. Keep on practicing those things. It's a command. Do it. It's imperative. And the God of Peace will be with you. Because peace always follows grace. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And that you were indeed concerned for me. But you had no opportunity. Not that I speak of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am. To be content my mom took that verse out of context one time. They told me, I came down here to live with one of my married brothers who came to Temple when I was freshman year, so I actually lived away from my parents in Wanamaker, Indiana, down here in Chattanooga with one of my older brothers, Tommy. And I think it was at Christmas time, uh, when we got to go home for a little bit, that they told me that my mom had, had cancer, you know, but they tried to make all light of it and duh, 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 duh because I was 14 at the time. But uh, by the time we got home that summer, when we all packed up and moved to Chattanooga, his dad retired early at 62, which tells you he was almost 47 when I was born. So. She was bed fast, basically. Dad had got some kind of hospital bed and she basically hardly get you out of the bed. So we, we had this old Volkswagen bus Remember those with the curtains in the windows and all that? Red, my favorite color. With a white top, had the white curtains in it. We had to take the middle seat out of that when we were all hauling out on uh, late July, early August to go to Chattanooga. And of course, it was hot and we were loading and stuff, so we, there was probably a little complaining going on about the heat and the sweat and all that. But we actually had to pick mom's bed up and roll it in there. And then dad had some straps and he strapped her in the middle of the Volkswagen bus. She rode all the way to Chattanooga on a hospital bed. But uh, we were all complaining griping, like I said, about the heat and this and that and everything. Not that. And Mom goes, uh, I think one of my aunts asked her about, you know, she'd never lived out of New Bethel or what became Wanamaker, Indiana, her whole life. And she used that. She goes, whatever state I am in, I'm going to be content. So, sorry, Mom, but you took that out of context. Whatever situation I'm in, I'm going to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know yourselves that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me and giving and receiving except you guys only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent to help for my needs. It's plural in the English translation, but it's really singular again. You sent help for my need once and again, whatever that might have been. Paul said in 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wasn't worried about the gift they were giving He thought about the fruit they were getting for giving it to him. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God and my god will supply every need and that's singular again that means everything you think you need he's going to give to you okay and my god will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in christ jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And grace always precedes peace. And sufferings always precede glory. But keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. Paul said it numerous times. I press on, I press on, I strain forward. And that's what Alan always talked about. Keep on keeping on. And as long as I have breath and the opportunity and privilege, I gotta say it to myself, so I'm gonna say it to you too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the living word, the word that became flesh. We pray that we would all avail ourselves on a daily basis of the grace of God. And we pray for the peace for those that have lost loved ones, the peace that passes all understanding. We pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what your word speaks to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.